You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning and welcome to Score Values on 670 The Score. I'm your host, Adam Staszynski. Coming up on this week's show, we talk with a doctor at the Jesse Brown VA about the importance of the new PACT Act. Also, we'll be discussing an organization right here in Chicago that helps support survivors of sexual abuse. We are joined now on Score Values by Dr. Heidi Baruch. She's an environmental health clinician with the Jesse Brown VA. And first of all, Heidi, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And thank you so much for uh, having me. Of course. I appreciate that. Of course. So uh, let's start, I guess, a little more general before we get into some things here is, you know, we're going to be discussing, first off, the, the PACT Act. So can you just tell me what this is before we talk about what was going on with the Jesse Brown VA this past week as far as a, a, a get together you, you had? Absolutely. So the PACT Act is a new law that was passed in August of 2022. It's really historic uh, in that it expands VA health care and benefits for veterans who've been exposed to toxic substances. And it's really the largest mm-hmm. growth in VA benefits and care in over 30 years. And uh, some would argue that it's the biggest growth uh, ever. So uh, what it does, it really, um, it allows the VA, empowers the VA to expand this care for veterans as well as their survivors. And I would add that this is care that they've earned and that they deserve. Mm. And it was named, I think historically, uh, what this pact actually stands for. It was named in memory of Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson, who was a combat medic who died of a rare form of lung cancer. And so the PACT is an acronym that is, stands for Promise to Address Comprehensive Toxins. Mm. And this promise is a commitment to the VA, um, by the VA, to veterans and their families. And so this, this past week, the Jesse Brown VA had a, a town hall relating to the PACT Act. So could you just talk about what, what happened that night? It was this past Tuesday, I believe, right? So... Uh, just talk we, a little. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's great. So it was a what we call a town hall. It was attended by uh, folks all over uh, Illinois. They were invited, as well as uh, there were some from Indiana who were remotely tuned in. It was also on Facebook, and we did have over a hundred people who attended in person, and it was really part of a national week, the PACT Act Action Week, mm-hmm. uh, which the purpose of which is, is to educate everyone about this law and the specific benefits 
Uh, and um, I'm happy to talk about some of those as well. It was uh, a great success. Oh, please go go ahead and talk about the, the, the benefits and what, what came, what you believe was the, the good things that came out of the town hall. Well, um, we, so this town hall uh, was presented by a number of VA representatives, clinicians, folks from uh, eligibility, as well as the VBA, which is the Veterans Benefits Administration, and there are that's the administration mm-hmm. that um, handles claims that veterans may place. So it was a, a half-hour presentation followed by uh, a one hour of questions and answers. So we heard from people from all over Illinois and um, parts of Indiana. Uh, and that was that was live on Facebook and on um, and by phone. And then those who attended in person had an opportunity to speak with uh, with claims representatives to see if they were eligible for care to sign up for health care and to do what we call toxic exposure screening tests or exams. So a toxic exposure screening, excuse me, a toxic exposure screen exam. So what is involved in that and, and why is this important to do? Okay, um, so the toxic exposure screening is one of the pieces of this new very, very comprehensive law mm-hmm. and in which every enrolled veteran is offered a toxic screen, uh, toxic exposure screen. Uh, and if that screen is positive, they are then uh, referred appropriately uh, to whatever service they need. It could be medical, it could be placing a claim, etc. And the screen is offered every five years. Um, And for those who may not want to participate initially, it gets revisited again. And the whole idea is that we want to keep these toxic exposures in mind over the years. And should there be any health impacts of them, we, it's a way to remind ourselves to address them. Uh, And I can say that they have, this uh, screening began on November 8th. Nationally, as of last Thursday, there were already half a million uh, veterans who had been screened. Oh, wow. And that's already grown by the tens of thousands uh, since then. I, I don't know the exact number wow. at this point. But um, so, and so I would say that uh, I can say that our primary care clinicians, physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs who care for the veterans. Uh, are all involved right now. This is our first phase of this screening. And, and it really comes down to their primary care clinicians. Um, so if there are medical issues, conditions that veterans are concerned about, uh, or if they're having any symptoms, they can be addressed at that time or arranged for uh, further um, evaluation. Got it. And so we're, we're speaking with with Dr. Heidi Baruch, an environmental health clinician with the Jesse Brown VA. And so I guess that this is somewhat along the same lines, but I know you've also had experience in in screening for burn pit exposures. So what is involved in that? And, and this might seem a little obvious, but why is that also important to look out for? Well, burn pits uh, were uh, found in Southwest Asia, 
uh, Afghanistan, among other places where they could be very large fields in which equipment was burned, tires, uh, in some cases, human waste. And, and during the Gulf War, a lot of oil well fires. And so there's a lot of airborne hazards, airborne um, particulate matter that can uh, affect uh, affect folks who were exposed. So the burn pit exposure is really one of several uh, concerns that are screened for as part of the, the toxic exposure screening. Mm-hmm. Um, so commonly, um, the most common uh, exposure screenings are for Agent Orange, for the Gulf War exposures, as well as 9-11, post, post-9-11 veterans, um, including those who were in Afghanistan, Camp Lejeune, um, toxic ex- water exposure, uh, radiation exposure. So these are some of the most commonly asked about exposures uh, by veterans, and there may be others as well. Uh, in addition to this toxic exposure screen, we have what we what we call uh, environmental health registries, mm-hmm. which are separate from the PACT Act specifically, but they're um, they are voluntary questionnaires and medical evaluations that are really used for the purpose more of research, quality improvement, tracking health concerns and issues over time. And they are not for clinical care. They don't determine one's benefits, and they're not required for filing a claim. Uh, Additionally, they're free of charge. And if, as a veteran, you're not eligible for VA care, you may participate uh, for free if you meet the inclusion criteria. And we, these registries uh, are for Agent Orange, Gulf War, mm-hmm. ionizing radiation, toxic embedded fragments, depleted uranium, and then the airborne hazards, which is the fastest growing one. And this is a registry that's co-administered by the VA and the Department of Defense. And unlike the earlier registries, this one is done online. Okay, great to know. So now this this next piece it might be is a little bit more general, but just talking about the Jesse Brown VA itself. In addition to these evaluations and exams, what other types of services does does the VA offer veterans? I mean, we're we're a, a full service hospital. We do general um, medicine, primary care. We have mental health services, specialty care, things like pulmonary and cardiology. We have rehab services, physical and occupational and speech therapy. Uh, we, we have community care. So if a veteran uh, lives far from the VA and they are unable to go to even some of our smaller clinics affiliated with Jesse Brown, uh, we have the, uh, the veteran has a choice to see some uh, clinicians in the community. Uh, in addition, home care services for those who needed hospice care. So all kinds of uh, of care. And so how do veterans apply for these services? You know, if anyone hears this and they, they maybe are confused about how to do so, what's the best way for them to apply for these services that they're that they are entitled to? So um, 
the I'm going to give you a, a website and a telephone number. Okay. And it is called va.gov slash PACT, P-A-C-T, or uh, they can call 1-800-MY-VA-411. And both of the both the telephone as well as the website uh, can it's a cent, they're central contacts that can uh, lead whoever is calling to where they uh, need to go information about benefits information about eligibility for medical care um, and I I actually would like to say something about uh, eligibility oh, if please. I may yeah go for it so. So this PACT Act that that we started talking about also expands eligibility for um, for healthcare for veterans with toxic exposures, and it affects the Vietnam era veterans, uh, Gulf War, post nine eleven veterans, and so what I would encourage is every veteran, um, I would encourage every veteran to apply for eligibility, even if you think you're not eligible, you very well may be with this new law and expansion of services. Mm-hmm. Um, and additionally, um, this law provides for 20 new presumptive conditions for those who may have been exposed to burn pits, Agent Orange, or other toxins. And what that means is that a presumptive condition is a condition established by law to be caused by military service. Mm-hmm. So if a veteran has a presumptive condition, they don't need to prove that it was due to service uh, when filing a claim as long as they meet the qualifying requirements like where they served and when they served. And uh, it it expands markedly the number of conditions. Um, For burn pits, I think that there are more than 20 new presumptive conditions that have been added. And so for burn pits, uh, a great number of them are related to respiratory illnesses and any number of cancers. And uh, a big presumptive for those who have been exposed to Agent Orange now is hypertension or high blood pressure uh, has been uh, approved as a uh, presumptive condition. Okay, so it sounds great that, you know, this this these new laws have expanded care, it sounds like, for or availability of care for these these veterans. And again, we're speaking with Dr. Heidi Barouche. She's with the, the Jesse Brown VA. She's an environmental health clinician there. And so, Heidi, I guess the last thing I want to ask you is, is again, as I mentioned, this, the, this PACT Act specifically seems to have added ability for veterans to get care for whatever type of condition we've covered that they might have come down with or, or you know, gotten while they were in, in service. But it also has seemed to me that, you know, especially as this has been pointed out to me over the last several years, that there still are gaps in VA healthcare that the government can step up and do better with. So I guess if, if, if I were to ask you this, you know, what's the next step? Like, what do you think is something that is still missing that, can be done for veterans that, you know, as far as expanding their care even further? So I think this law, which is so comprehensive, um, actually is doing that. I think this is is a big step uh, in terms of covering benefits, both health care as well as disability benefits for so many issues. So um, 
we're still in 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 the very early stages of implementing this uh, all the components of this. Okay. So I think this is a huge, huge step that uh, has already begun helping uh, veterans get where they need to go. Uh, and education is a really big part of it, and that's a big part of, of staff education, which has already been in full force um, with the implementation of this law. So every clinician who sees a veteran is going to be more aware and more aware of resources and, um, and, and to become literate in toxic uh, mm-hmm. exposures. So I, th- I think that's a big part. There's much research that's been going on uh, about these uh, exposures for decades, and that is also being ramped up. Um, so, and I would say again to any veteran, please uh, consider applying for enrollment in the VA. You very well may be eligible, and we really um, are committed uh, to your health and to your well-being. Okay, well, I think we can end on that. Is is there anything else that you wanted to add that we haven't covered? I think we talked about the the uh, parts of the PACT Act that are so, um, uh, I think, important and have expanded mm-hmm. care. And uh, the invitation uh, to all veterans uh, and their survivors to apply for all the benefits that they have earned and they deserve. Okay, well, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And again, that was Dr. Heidi Baruch, Environmental Health Clinician at the Jesse Brown VA. I'm Adam Staczynski. This is Score Values on 670 The Score. And we are joined now by Aaron Walton, the executive director of Resilience, which is an organization right here in Chicago. And so, Aaron, first off, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Of course, of course. So uh, we'll just start with this. For those that don't know what Resilience is, tell us about Resilience and the kind of work that you do. Sure. Well, Resilience, we are a nonprofit organization uh, working throughout the city of Chicago with survivors of sexual violence primarily. Our work is to empower survivors and ultimately we're in the fight to end sexual violence in our community. Um, We were founded in 1974 um, as rape victim advocates and about three years ago we rebranded to Resilience but we work with survivors providing medical and legal advocacy, um, counseling and therapeutic services. And then we also have a prevention education and training component as well. Um, We were founded by Natalie Stevens, Dr. Natalie Stevens, I should say, who was a doctor at Northwestern Hospital, um, who saw survivors um, coming into the emergency room seemingly leave those emergency rooms uh, more vulnerable and traumatized than when they first arrived. And so she noticed that, and she and some other doctors and interns uh, wanted to make a difference in those those lives, and um, she founded uh, Resilience at that time and, well, Rape Victim Advocates, and we have been doing this work ever since. So, so since 1974, you, you mentioned the name change that you went through, and so I want to yeah. ask you 
other changes that the organization has seen, how the organization has evolved in that time, and and also why you chose to change the name to Resilience? Yeah, sure. Well, we chose to change the name because the name Rape Victim Advocates had a very specific identity. Um, most people, when we when we did some research, thought that we specifically and exclusively worked with rape uh, survivors and, and advocated on the, in their behalf. And so while that is at the core of what we do, our services have expanded over time and evolved um, beyond that. So we wanted to, um, we wanted our name to better reflect who we are and the difference that we want to make in our community. And we felt as though resilience aligned most with that goal. And so, um, as you stated, we started out uh, working with survivors in the emergency rooms, but have expanded our work um, to work along the full spectrum of sexual violence. So not just survivors of rape, but also of sexual harassment and other forms of sexual violence. But we had over time just developed a bigger vision of wanting to impact um, the pervasiveness of sexual violence in our community overall and included prevention and and public education and even some public policy work um, under our umbrella because we envisioned a world that when we would expose some of those myths and educate people um, that we would make a difference in um, our cultural response to sexual violence and ultimately change systems and change lives. When you change, when you say, excuse me, change, change systems, what do you mean by change, change systems? Well, we really are talking about all sorts of, of systems, really. Um, everyone um, has their own kind of perspective or biases even around what sexual violence is and what um, sexual harassment is. And so when we um, provide education to um, the police department, as an example, when we provide education to other uh, law enforcement um, departments, when we even provide education to the nurses and doctors at the hospitals that we partner with, those are systems that when we um, help to inform them about um, the trauma of sexual violence and how it really impacts survivors, we are ultimately impacting the way in which they engage with survivors, the stigmas that they have imposed on them, as well as um, the way they respond to to survivors when you know when they engage with them. We work with the education system as well, working with children as young as kindergarten through high school, an effort to ensure that people are educated appropriately on what healthy relationships look like and what uh, violation is and what body autonomy is. And so all of those things are really changing our our investment in those communities is really um, helping to change the perspective of what people uh, know to be sexual violence and ultimately to be um, appropriate bystanders when those situations, when they witness those situations and to help prevent them from happening in the first place. 
Wow, that sounds like a, a lot of important work. And, and we're talking with Aaron Walton, the executive director of Resilience, an organization right here in Chicago. So part of your mission statement for Resilience said that you aim to improve the treatment of sexual assault survivors. I'm curious how you go about doing that. Well, we when we when we talk about our clients specifically, first of all, I, I love that question. So thank you for asking that. Um, we use the term um, trauma informed care. And when we talk about working with survivors in a direct way, we really want to make sure that we and all of the partners that are that we work with in, in serving survivors, so the doctors, the nurses, the social workers, um, and beyond, even the even the criminal justice system, we want to make sure that we are all understanding um, the impact of what trauma um, does to us, and. We want to make sure that we are as informed as possible so that we are providing the appropriate amount of the appropriate care and response. We want to be non-judgmental and to create a sense of safety and trust and transparency when we're engaging with survivors of sexual violence. Because without that, what we're doing essentially is exacerbating the trauma in their lives. And we want to we want to do just the opposite of that. We want to be champions for their healing. And so um, the ways in which we provide education to our partners is really focused around ensuring that that treatment um, is, is that we're all giving is trauma informed so that we can um, help survivors really uh, recognize their own strengths and build and validate them um, to to move beyond the circumstance and to progress in their healing journey. Along those lines, I, I hear a lot so much uh, about how difficult it is for survivors to come forward about their assaults, about what has happened to them. Yeah, and I know this is a difficult question, and 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 there's a lot of ways to answer it, but. What is it that makes it so difficult for them to come forward? And and then a follow-up to that, how do we make it easier for them? Yeah. Um, well, statistically, depending on, you know, what you read, some folks say that up to 70% of people um, do not report. And, and there are so many different reasons why. Many of those reasons are based in fear. Um, particularly if someone has a relationship with the perpetrator, whether it's an intimate relationship or a casual one, people often will feel a little intimidated um, to report. They might feel as though they won't be believed um, if they were to report if, or they, they would be asked questions as to um, their role in the violence while we know that obviously there is no role that you play in, in your own violence, but mm-hmm. um, some folks might feel that. Um, some people might um, feel as though it could be downplayed. Uh, they might have, by, by those they report to, they may feel a sense of shame 
Um, they could feel some retaliation, perhaps. Mm. Um, there's so many different, um, sometimes people might have a spouse that they don't want to know about the, the violence for whatever reason or other family members. Um, so there's so many different reasons. Even people might feel like they don't want to get the perpetrator in trouble. If they know that person, um, they might not want to get them in trouble if he or she um, were, you know, someone in the community that is respected or someone in the family that is respected. Sometimes people don't want to get them in trouble. So there's so many different reasons why people don't come forward. Um, But we as a community can um, make a bit of a difference if we ensure that when we are told, if we're confided in and we know that violence has occurred, that we believe survivors. And, and we say that all the time because it's so important. So often we don't believe survivors. We question them in their own in their own uh, violence, in in their situation, which we don't do that in in other situations. You know, if someone was robbed, for example, we don't say, well, what were you wearing? And why were you there? And were you drinking? We don't ask, (laughs) you know, other victims those questions, but survivors of sexual violence get, um, they get re-traumatized with questions of, of that insinuate blame or shame. And so if we um, learn how not to do that, to be listeners and supporters, uh, when folks do confide in us, I think that will make a difference in people feeling more comfortable to report officially. And that's it for this week's edition of Score Values on 670 The Score. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on a future edition of the show, or if you'd like to share information about an upcoming charitable event, Send us an email at scorevalues670 at gmail.com. That's scorevalues670 at gmail.com. I'm Adam Staczynski. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Score Values on 670 The Score. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. T